Hey everyone, you're so very welcome to join us today. It's Boxing Day and we gather around the last in the series uh, that we've been walking through over the last four or so weeks as we've explored the Christmas message uh, through the stories before the great story. We finally arrive here today. Um, We're reading from Luke chapter 2 verses 22 to 38 and this is God's word. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to to do for him what the customs of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old and she'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And we thank God for his word that still speaks to us today. Merry Christmas to you, one and all. It is our really deep prayer and our deep thought today that you have had an incredible day, a really great Christmas season. We've prayed that uh, you would have been in the place of peace over this period of time, a time of joy, a time with family and friends, a time uh, to be able to be together. Even though I know the world has been crazy and hectic and mad, I really hope that this has been a season of real joy, real happiness, and real significance. And well, that's kind of it, right? It's kind of over now. I realize that's a downer to those of you that are kind of Christmas-aholic type people. I've just announced the end of Christmas at the start of this broadcast. I'm sorry about that, but it's the truth, right? And the funny thing is, Christmas Day kind of blurs into Boxing Day for lots of people. Some people even like it better than Christmas Day itself, but they kind of blur, right? Whether you're seeing family or you're going to a football match, whether you're cooking Christmas dinner number two or you're about to eat turkey sandwiches, whether you're walking, running or cycling off yesterday's overeating or some of you are maybe even off to work, our hope, our prayer is that you've had an amazing Christmas. You've encountered Jesus somewhere, somehow, in this season where we gather to celebrate his birth. 
And today as we reach the end of this little series that we've been running up to Christmas called His Name is Jesus, today is all about introductions. We finally get to see him. Jesus is introduced at the temple and we get introduced to him too at this part in Luke's gospel. And I think all of us can attest to how important first impressions are, right? Like they stick with you far beyond maybe what they should. First impressions are important. So whether you're trying to go for a job, your job interview, your first impressions will be important. Whether you're being introduced to your best friend's new boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's that new boss at work or the first time you get to meet your son or your daughter, your introductions matter and they stick with us, don't they? When I worked for Alpha, uh, I would often meet people that led other Christian organizations uh, or agencies. And at one point, I met this man for the first time. We were at a large conference. We were sharing a seminar together. I'd never met him. So we arrived kind of 10 minutes before the seminar. I walk in, and he's there. So right before the seminar, he kind of walks over. I walk over to him, and he says, Ah, David, really nice to meet you. Tell me, when were you washed with the blood of the Lamb? Like, seriously, like just right out of the blue, first thing this man had ever said to me. It totally shook me. It took me aback. I didn't expect it from the usual Northern Irish kind of, how's it going? Okay. How are you doing? I'm okay too, right? We kind of play that sort of level. He just went straight in with the big questions. Introductions matter. And I say that because the passage we've just read is all about a very long wait and an incredible introduction. The events of the the passage, they all play out in the temple. Mary and Joseph show up uh, because of rituals that had to do with cleanness, cleanliness in the world of that day. Mary had obviously just had the baby, had Jesus. And the ritual stated that in order for her to be clean, that the child had to be presented at the temple and they had to bring an offering. So they bring the two birds, which, by the way, was the lower of the two offerings for people of lower income or status. And this has nothing to do with sin or anything like that, okay? Before you think it did, it, it doesn't. The rituals really were nothing to do with a suggestion of wrong. They were just the rules in a way. Ritual uncleanliness was nothing to do with sin or anything like that. And particularly for topics like childbirth, maybe probably because of things like taboo. The one Chicago University professor, Tikva Freimer-Kensky, said of it, like the person who has touched death, the person who has experienced birth has been at the boundaries of life or non-life. Right now, all the mums in the living rooms are looking around at their husbands right now and going, mm-hmm, and that sort of knowing look of things are so much easier for you when it comes to childbirth. We get it, right? They are. So they go through with the rituals. And it's here that they encounter Simeon and they encounter Anna. And like so much of the Christmas story, it's a picture that just isn't what we might expect. And we get introduced to a Messiah who is nothing like the world thought. And so we meet Simeon. And the passage tells us that he's waiting for God to finally come and console Israel. And then we meet Anna just afterwards. And she was from the tribe of Asher. And she was in touch with the people waiting for Israel to be redeemed both old, both devout, both faithful, both prophets. And here they are living in a world of patient, longing, hope. The funny thing is that to most people, the story of Jesus' birth is probably the one that we know most about, right? To the person on the street, 
to the person that works with you, to the family member who hasn't been to church in years. They probably know most, actually, about the birth of Jesus because of nativity plays in school and TV and tradition and so on and so on. And yet here we are in a book written by an eyewitness, somebody who spent those years with Jesus. Luke was really there. Luke was really with him. And over the last weeks, we just spent time walking through 80 verses of the stories before the great story. And yet here we arrive at the story. And how much time does Luke give the account to Jesus' birth? Seven verses. He gives it seven verses in a gospel made up of well over a thousand. Why? Well, even In passages like this, where Jesus is introduced, it seems like Luke wants to emphasize what was said about Jesus more than anything else. So what was said about Jesus? Well, let's just read those verses again. These verses, verses 28 to 35. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And the first part of this is known as the Nunc Dimittis, or the Song of Simeon. And it's where he pours out his heart, having now finally seen Jesus as he was promised. And the thing I love about it, right, is Mary and Joseph's Reaction. They marveled, the passage says, at what was said about their son. It's easy to feel surprised about that, isn't it? This is just an old man who's been waiting in the temple, desperate to see the Messiah. But this is their son. They know what's been said about him. They know what they've been told he is going to be. I mean, he only came into the world as a result of miraculous circumstances. The birth was surrounded by the miraculous angels, circumstances, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, the birth itself is a miracle. I mean, think about what Mary was told Jesus was going to be. The Son of God. The Messiah. Maybe in the midst of it all. They too had just thought that maybe Jesus would be a great political leader like everybody else around them seemed to think. And only now, in the words of this old man, were they beginning to connect the dots. Maybe that's the case. But really when I read this, I think that what it is is just the pride and feeling of a parent who has just been moved by the words of someone else who is seeing something in their son. I went to parent-teacher interviews a number of weeks ago for the first time for Elle. And even though I know that she's sharp and even though I see her potential, I'm around her every day. I know how I think she's brilliant. I was so moved as I sat listening to a teacher talk about how she thought she was brilliant. I was so moved when I heard somebody else say that they saw it too. And I think it's that. And then Simeon goes on. And he's, now, he's talking about pain. Because in a sense, Simeon is telling Jesus' parents that his life and the life that he'll offer to all of us will be a magnet. Jesus' life will be magnetic. He will be attractive to some and he will be repelled by others. 
Jesus' life is magnetic and it still is today. In a sense, he's pointing right at what, it, what will so often be our experience in this life. That as the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of this world, that the result will be heartache. In many ways, Jesus was and he still is magnetic. And so too will ours if we choose to follow him. And it would prove to be true for Mary, as in her life she watched Jesus being rejected by the ones that he came to save. He's a magnet. Lots of you will know that in your Bibles, as you turn from the last page of the Old Testament to the first page of the New Testament, what feels like just one page that flips is actually around about 400 years of time. And it's incredible through those 400 years that God is silent. He doesn't speak. There's no prophetic utterances or prophets or any of that anymore. And yet, now he breaks his silence and God speaks again. And these are the words that he wants us to hear. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the hearts and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. His name is Jesus. And this is him. A light for all the world. The glory of your people, Israel. His name is Jesus. And this is him. The one who comes with a hope universal, but that doesn't mean it will be received by all. Offered to all, but considered by each. This is a universal offer. And today, this Boxing Day, this Christmas, it's a personal challenge. This is a universal offer to anyone, to everyone, every background, every circumstance, every situation, every life. This is a universal offer. But this is a personal, a personal challenge. Luke is pointing everyone to this introduction, to these words, to this offer, to our choice. For Simeon, who had waited all these years faithfully, full of longing and expectation and hope, now holding the baby in his arms, one commentator suggests of that first like you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for I have seen your salvation. That's how it's said in the Bible. That commentator suggests that he might actually be saying, this is the greatest experience of my life, and now I'm ready to go. Simeon had made his choice, looking, holding that baby, the light of the world, the hope for every generation. Simeon had made his choice. And the question is today to you, amongst all the choices that you have made in this season, as you get ready for the new year and you think reflectively in this next week or so, as maybe you look back and you look forward, the question is to you today, what choice will you make? Jesus is offering a universal hope, but also a personal challenge. These are the words, hundreds of years coming. This is an offer, a hope. For all of your life, his name is Jesus. You have been introduced. Now, what are you going to do about it this Christmas? I'm just going to pray. 
and wrap up. And we really do pray that you've met Jesus at some point over this season, somehow, through a scripture reading, through a carol at a service, through a song on a playlist, through a meeting with other people you love, through the hope of the story that this season means. Our prayer is that you've met him this year. But the question is, having met him, what do you choose? What do you choose? Let's pray. God, this Christmas, as we are introduced to Jesus all over again, recognizing that every story, that all of the stories before the story point toward you, God, we ask today that you might move in us. Lord, we want to see you with eyes like Simeon saw you on that day. Eyes full of longing and expectation and hope. That no matter how long we've waited, that no matter how hard it might have been, that no matter what our days have looked like, that no matter what we live through, and goodness knows many of us have lived through a lot, that still we might look at you with the sorts of eyes that might say, this is the greatest experience of my life. Jesus, draw near to us today, we pray, in the midst of celebrations and time with family and all of the things that this season means for each and every one of us, God. I pray that we might meet you and that we might have the courage to choose you again and again and again, Lord. We hear the words of that astonishing universal offer today to come before the light of the world, to be in relationship with you and to take up the personal challenge of following you all of our days, all of our lives, in every season. Jesus, come near to us, we pray. Give us courage to follow you and your way. Amen.